My guest today is Zainab Alema, known as Z, or the bulldozer. As one of the first female Muslim rugby players in the country, this British-born Ghanaian has been blazing a trail for other Muslim girls to see rugby as a genuine career choice and working to break down numerous stereotypes in the process. In 2020, she was named the Sunday Times Grassroots Sportswoman of the Year, a year after setting up her own charity, Studs in the Mud, which provides equipment and funding to enable women to play rugby where it is not normally on offer. She is a wife and mother of three young children and recently gave up her role as a neonatal nurse to focus on her rugby career. Z currently plays for Richmond and dreams of one day playing for England. She has created considerable change both in her own life and in the lives of others. And we talked about smashing down stereotypes, being honest about your goals, and how she got the nickname The Bulldozer. You are listening to Double Espresso with D, with me, D Sterling. I love a great story. So in this season, I will talk to incredible people who've experienced huge, pivotal moments of real change by choice or by circumstance. From stories of reinvention and inspiring career pivots to the dramatic shifts that happen in moments of crisis, I hope you can join us each week to hear about their fascinating and inspiring journeys. Welcome, C. Hi, Dee. I'm super, super excited to talk to you today. Thank you for having me on. See, people that know you in the public domain know you for a number of reasons, but one is rugby. So at school, you loved sport. You never really thought about playing rugby. At 14, you discovered rugby and fell in love. Take me to that moment. Yeah, sure. So this was um, in high school, so at 14 years old, I was in the PE session. And my PE teacher brought in some rugby balls and was like, right, girls, we're going to do rugby today. And up until that point, I've actually never touched a rugby ball before. Um, I've seen it on TV, just flicking through uh, men playing rugby. I, but I didn't actually know women play rugby. But, you know, I was for it. As soon as she said we're playing rugby, I was really excited. But I was the only one. All my, you know, my friends and the people in my class they were just like rugby why do you want to play rugby no you know they're really they didn't want to get on the floor get dirty they didn't want any of that rough and tumble but for me I was really excited and the first time I touched the ball I just yeah there's just something about touching a rugby ball and running it just was so exhilarating and from then I just knew I, I loved the sport and subsequently you know you kept with it um you started training at Ealing Trailfinders when you were 17. Then you went to university and you almost gave up. What happened there? So at university, I always say it was the really interesting time throughout my rugby journey because I came into uh, uni as a young black Muslim woman, um, still trying to find my feet you know because you at that age you're just sort of leaving your parents under your parents wing and you're sort of becoming a young adult um and it's sort of that stage in life where I feel like a lot of people are a bit lost and you have to sort of find yourself like who are you away from home you know um so it was a time in my life where I felt like I was still sort of searching and learning about myself 
So I, but I knew I loved rugby. So I came into the space and I joined the local rugby team, which was at Harfordshire. But actually I waited. I didn't join straight away. I waited until the second semester because I was really nervous. And I wasn't sure if the rugby club would accept me. What were you nervous about exactly? Because I guess it's about identity as well, isn't it? You're saying that yeah, at that point in your life and every person heading off to university, I guess, is, is on, a, on a quest to find out who they are. But what was it for you that made you nervous? I think it was around that time, well, in, that, in the media, there was a lot of stuff about like Muslims and, um, well, not, I wouldn't call them Muslims, but uh, extremists and, you know, just negative things about Muslims and it's one of those things that projects into, I think, every Muslim. When you see something about terrorism on the TV, then all of a sudden you think, oh, like, people are going to think I'm bad. People are going to associate me with those, you know, evil people that are on the TV. And it was very hard living life whenever something happened on the TV as a Muslim. It was hard because it was like people would think that would associate them with you and it's literally nothing like me and my family were nothing like what um is being portrayed on tv so I was sort of nervous that I'll join a new space and they would think that I was like that you know they would think that I I had you know extremist views and it just made me really anxious but I was just I held to the fact that I loved the sport and I thought let me just suck it up and go and and see how how, how it turns out and I'm glad I did actually how did you find the physicality of being on the pitch, you know, particularly as a younger person? Because clearly, you know, you, you dressed slightly differently uh, from other people on the pitch. And I guess at university as well, you know, for right or for wrong, the sport of rugby is associated with a lot of aggression on the pitch. Um, yes. It's associated with a lot of force, with um, a lot of partying off the pitch, you know, yeah. consumption of alcohol and so forth. How were those sorts of challenges for you? Yeah, they were quite difficult as well. So first of all, I looked different on a pitch, you know, covered up, uh, wearing a headscarf, uh, but mainly like covering my arms and legs. And I had teammates who had beautiful legs. They're always out and, you know, really, you know, just outgoing. And I was there covered up. Um, and I just, it dawned on me that I was different from my teammates. I was difficult, not not just like physically, but also obviously skin colour. I was the only black person on my team for a while, actually. And all of those things played in my mind and it just made me question whether or not rugby was for me, if the space is actually where I belong. And it just, you know, I really felt alone. I actually thought I was the only Muslim woman in the world that played rugby. Like it was, I had those kind of thoughts and you can imagine. But how did you um, see, deal with those thoughts? Because in the moment they can be very um, burdensome and heavy. How did you cope and go beyond that? Yeah, it was heavy and um, it got to a point where actually I just thought this space is not for me and maybe rugby, although I love it, maybe this is not this is not my scene. And the thing that actually helped me to stay in the sport was two things. So one is a woman called Miguel Fonsi, who is a former uh, rugby player. She used to play for England. Uh, she's a black woman. Right. And... Also, the fact that in the laws of rugby, it's said in black and white that you could wear a headscarf to play rugby. But up until that point, I actually didn't know about that rule until I actually went searching myself. So those two things really were the reason why I stuck into rugby, because 
Maggie, I sort of felt I related to her because she was another black woman. And I thought, actually, if she's playing for England and she's black as well, why can't I play, you know, grassroots level? So she really helped to cement the idea that I actually belong in rugby. And then also knowing that I could wear a headscarf, it meant that I didn't have to compromise my faith to play a sport that I love. So those are the two things that played a big role in me staying in the sport. Did you ever feel that you wanted to no longer wear your headscarf? Did you ever feel that you just wanted to ditch it all and fit in? Um, that's a very good question. But I would not, no, I don't think I did. The only thing that I would say is that, so I joined, um, when I started to rugby, uh, so when I, when I started uni, I joined the Islamic Society, which, you know, in uni had loads of different societies. And I thought, actually, I want to spend time with uh, sisters um, who have the same faith as me and I can go out and eat with them and just have a little bonding. Because I knew that if I didn't have that sort of uh, company, you know, it would make me feel really far away, distance, being in university. So um it came to a time where I kind of felt like I was I was juggling two different identities, like Z the rugby player, Z the Muslim girl. And it was just like, which way do I go? It was very um, heavy. And I thought, no one's ever, I don't know anyone that's done this before, managing being a Muslim and playing rugby. How does it happen? How do you navigate this? So that was very tough. Um, how did you navigate that? I don't know how I did it. It just happened. And I feel like I've created my own path or I've created something that suits me because I literally didn't see anyone that did it um, I remember being on campus and I think I just finished praying yeah because I pray five times a day as Muslim and seeing the rugby girls I think they were, had a stall and they're trying to recruit people and I thought okay I, I was scared to go up to them because I just finished praying with my girls and I was in like my long um, dress and it's different to what they would see me in on the rugby pitch so I was quite nervous to sort of approach them. And I thought, this is me. Like, you know, I need them to see me in my natural state. You know, this is how I am. This is, if I'm not on the rugby pitch, this is sort of who I am. And uh, I went over and I said, hi. And, uh, oh, you know, you know, we didn't recognise you. How are you doing? And it was just fine. But I built up so much anxiety. But it, the reality, it was actually just fine. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I think from then on, I felt a bit more confident within myself when you were going through all of this and in a way learning to adjust learning what your identity is and was yeah. learning to accept yourself as well yeah. um what sort of reception did you get you know as a young person on the field given that you did look different i don't think anyone really i think within rugby it's such a space that people don't really care actually you know, I feel like in at that time I was putting a pre unnecessary pressure on myself because I wasn't confident in my own identity. So I couldn't portray like, yeah, I couldn't project that. But the only thing I felt like helped me was when I became more clued up with who I am, it helps me on my journey. Because I, I, I think there's something powerful about knowing who you are and your identity. No matter what situation you find yourself in, you can cope because you know who you are. How old were you, do you think, when you got to that point of self-knowledge? I think 21. That's pretty good. When I had, when I, yeah, when I finished uni, I think, I think the university experience helped me to find myself, actually. So I'm actually grateful that I went through that. And, you know, you talked about sort of differences and, you know, the drinking culture was a shock to me, actually, because 
I was playing under 18s rugby up until that point and there was no not really much alcohol involved because you know we're underage but when I got to uni it was like a mixture of university culture freshers getting drunk on a night out all the time and then there was rugby culture you know after the um the games they do things like person or player of the match and you have to down the pint and I used to get players match quite some time you know, quite a lot of times and I used to stand there and reject a pint because you know I don't drink and what did you have instead well I had to nominate someone else to have the drink Okay. Yeah. And oh, uh, you got something else though. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I didn't. But at that point, they didn't. I don't think my teammates actually knew why. I don't think they knew. I think they were really clueless, and I didn't tell them point blank. I didn't drink because of my faith. I was so scared to tell them because I felt that it would distance. It would make me feel more distant than I already did, and it would be admitting to myself and them that I'm not. I'm different. And I didn't want that. So I just kept quiet. And they probably thought I was really antisocial. And I'm really not. Because <laughs> I, I never used to go to the socials. I never really used to interact with them off the pitch. Because a lot of the things they did off the pitch was just alcohol, getting drunk, getting pissed. And it was just, that's not me. So I distanced myself away from that. And rugby is such a sport. If you don't, when you when you bond off the pitch, it translates to good play on the pitch. You know, you it's a type of game where when you're all on the same wavelength and you're all, you know, best of friends and you're having that camaraderie it shows on the pitch and I wasn't getting that and I'll turn up to games and you know they could be talking about what happened last night and I would not even have a clue because I wasn't there right so that was a bit tough but I just went there to play rugby and then I left that's all it was really but they were a lovely bunch of girls lovely so you know being part of different teams what is the status today do you think people are more accepting are they more inclusive? All these big narratives that we talk about, you know, in the mainstream today. What is your experience coming up to the present? I think it's changed a lot since I first started. The team that I play for currently is probably the most diverse team I've right. ever been in. And the fact that I play for Richmond women and the fact that they're in the championship as well. So they're higher. This is sort of the highest level of rugby I've been at so far. And to see that the type of inclusivity is just amazing and hopefully it can only get better. Um, for example, I was open to them about my faith and I said, you know, as a Muslim, I pray five times a day. So if possible, would I be able to have a prayer space? And, you know, they sorted it out straight away. They they gave me a prayer space, which I now use at the club. And it just meant so much because I've never had that. And now I'm so I'm confident within who I am that I can actually ask, can I have somewhere to pray? Whereas before... I would not have been able to ask anyone. I just kept what I did to myself, my prayers, my faith to myself. I never let it out or expressed it to anyone. But now I feel confident in doing so. And the reason is because I realised that I'm actually, I'm blazing my own trail. I'm starting my own path and I need to do what's right for people that are like me, that are coming after me. I need to make sure this path is okay for them. So being confident in who I am and asking for things like prayer spaces it's not even about, it's not just about for me, but it's for the girls that are going to come after me, making sure it's easier for them. Totally. And also it's, you know, you being an example and a role model, which I know is something very, very important to you, which we're going to come on to. But it's also showing that you have to ask. As I always say, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. And we exactly. have to ask. Tell me, see, how important in your life is your family's Ghanaian tradition and background? Oh, really important. I think it's 
you know, I'm you know, I'm a mix of things really. And sometimes when I sit and think about it, it's, it's never ending. You know, I've got the, the faith, I've got the the African culture, and then I've got the British culture with tea. You know, I love my Elbrea. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, your twining. Yeah, my exactly. You know, that's the brand that I love. <laughs> I'm hoping they'll sponsor me, actually, Dee. So maybe okay, they hear us listen, on this podcast. Well, we have to get working on that, okay? <laughs> um, but yeah, so my Ghanaian culture plays a massive role in, you know, who I am and, you know, what I stand for. Um, I actually went to school in Ghana for a couple of years as a kid. And, um, you know, it's just it plays a massive role, like the food, the music, the culture. It's just part of who I am. And having, you know, both parents who are, you know, born and bred in Ghana, um, obviously they've influenced me a lot in sort of the way I've grown up. And actually on that, my, my dad, when I told him that I wanted to play rugby, he was just like, why? <laughs> he couldn't understand. Like, I guess in Ghana, like rugby is not really, it's a new sport. And I'm guessing when he grew up, he probably never heard of rugby in Ghana. So he just couldn't understand why his, his daughter wanted to play rugby. And How does he feel now? Um, well, I mean, he said it was a man sport and it was elitist. Those are the two things that he said. But now he shouts from the rooftop that his daughter plays rugby. <laughs> uh, I bet they're super proud of you. And, you know, in many ways, and you said this yourself, see, you don't fit the typical African Muslim stereotype. And, you know, of the woman at home cooking, cleaning, having children. I mean, it's all very, very cliched, but I guess to some extent that's how people see it. Yeah, You're smashing those stereotypes. What does this mean to you practically to smash the stereotypes? It means that I'm the bulldozer. <laughs> so I want to talk about this. Tell me yeah. about why you're called the bulldozer. I know it's a huge compliment, but talk yeah. me through. So the bulldozer started off when I was um, in, at Millwall Rugby Club and it was actually nothing to do with, it was just a, a move, you know. In rugby we had different plays, different moves that we do and there was a move called a bulldozer that involved me um, picking up the ball and just running through people. Um, what position was that? So that was at number eight. Right. So it, it involved the number eight at the back of the scrum and running into the opposition's number 10. That was the bulldozer move. I'm sure they've changed the name now, but... So that just became, you know, what I did. But then I had a thought, and I was like, do you know what, I really like that name. And actually, I can relate to it because of who I am and what I'm trying to do. So obviously a bulldozer is a construction equipment that smashes things and uh, demolishes things, you know, in construction. But for me, I feel like I'm sort of... That's me... Uh, as a metaphor for who I am. Um, so I'm a black Muslim woman, I've got kids, I'm, you know, career woman, and I'm in the rugby space. That's a lot of things that stereotypes I'm smashing by just existing in rugby. So that's why I love the, the name Bulldozer. And, you know, it just fits who I am and what I'm trying to do. But I don't tell the opposition that because it seems a bit soft. So <laughs> if they hear Bulldozer, then they probably think, oh, I'm going to smash three people. But um, that's not my take on it. My take is just a bit more, um, it's different, yeah. Clearly you enjoy being a bulldozer at some level. Do you feel you have to be one? Um, I don't think so. I don't feel pressure to be anything. Like, I, a lot of people ask me, like, do you feel pressure to 
play rugby to inspire Muslim girls or to inspire different communities. And I think, no, I just play rugby because I love it. And if I happen to inspire them, then that's amazing. And I guess that's what the inspiration is. I think following my passion is enough inspiration. And that's the key that is going to tap into all the other communities and all the other people who are not, you know, similar to me. It will help them to understand what I'm doing. It's just that passion for something that you love. And See, you've gone through a lot of change on your rugby journey and have probably changed as a person. Um, do you feel you're reinventing rugby in some way, in some philosophical way? I feel like I'm reinventing myself, actually. And what does that mean for you? Yeah, and there may be rugby's been, I'm showing a different path to rugby. So for me, I feel like I've always been a person that... Um, like to help others like to give a lot of it a lot of my you know obviously being a nurse I have to give to the the infants that I'm looking after the parents my colleagues and then also as a as a wife and a, and a mother I'm giving to my family as well and um, rugby for me it's something that it is the opposite it gives me stuff it gives me uh, confidence it gives me empowerment it gives me resilience you know and it's given me so much things that I guess, in other aspects of my life would make me feel, how would I say, inadequate is probably a strong word, but rugby, there's a lot of things that maybe in the real world you shy away from, like, you know, being sweaty, being called a beast, being strong as a woman, um, being physical as a woman. But I feel like with rugby, it, it embraces those things. So if you're a girl that is, you know, strong, you've got muscles, you know, you're athletic, you're sweaty, you're all these things, rugby likes that and embraces that, whereas in the outside world, it's probably something that people look down upon. How do you feel when you're on the pitch? Do you feel like it's the real you? Oh, absolutely. I feel empowered. I feel confident. It, for me, it's a expression. It's expressing myself when I'm on the pitch. I feel like I'm expressing it's myself. It's like your stage, right? Yeah, it's like my stage. It's exhilarating. It. I feel free because on the rugby pitch, I leave all of my life, you know, worries at the side of the pitch. I go on, put my scrum cap on, and I'm the bulldozer and I'm just doing my thing. And what so far has been your biggest challenge in life? Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> the biggest challenge in my life. I think coming to terms with, with my identity was probably quite challenging because those times, you know, pre-uni and during uni, being really unsure about my identity was tough. But once I understood who I was and what I stand for, life just became a bit more easier. But I think that was difficult. Yeah, I'd say that's probably the toughest time. It's almost like simplification of life, isn't it? You know, where you, you work out who you are and what matters and what, what brings meaning. Absolutely. That the rest just becomes superfluous, right? When you know who you are and you're grounded in that and you have been on that that um, existential journey as well, it feels like to me. Now, see, you like many successful people make it look easy and, you know, you get on with it and so forth. But you're a mother, a wife, you've got three young children. Up until recently, you have been working in intensive care as a neonatal nurse, which is not exactly a relaxed or stress-free role. 
how have you managed to do all of that and still play rugby? <laughs> um, I just, do you know what? It's a, it's a nice balance, you know. I feel like the rugby helps me to have resilience and to manage my, you know, my duties as a nurse. Similarly, my duties as a nurse help me in rugby because, you know, it makes me, you build up a lot of stress as a nurse, I can't lie to you, but, you know, working for the NHS is very stressful. But I get on the rugby pitch and all those stresses are released. So they both complement each other. And I actually remember someone asking me, how can you be a nurse and play rugby? And I thought, well, I don't go around tackling the babies, do I? That's quite... Yeah, I just thought or annoying parents and I just thought (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) I just thought the answer to that was just it's just having the passion for both you know um my story being a neonate myself really that was sort of the burning desire for me to actually become a neonatal nurse because of the way you know my mum and my parents would tell me how they looked after me and actually being born early my chances of survival weren't that great. And because of them, I managed to survive. So I kind of felt like I needed to give back to them. Um, so from a very young age, I just knew straight away I wanted to do neonatal nurse again. I'm grateful that I'm, I, you know, I was happy. I was able in, to, to do that and graduate as a nurse. And, you know, even if I helped one baby, like that would have been, you know, that meant the world to me. What have you brought from your nursing career to the pitch? I'd say the ability to control my emotions because, you know, the neonatal world is very up and down. You know, you see, look after babies and their, their parents and sometimes, you know, you you discharge them and you know, they come in sick, you discharge them, you see them happy, they're leaving the hospital. Other times, unfortunately, you they don't get to go home and they're fortunately, you know, pass away, which is tough. Of you know, emotionally, and uh, I think as a nurse, you have to be strong because, you know, you're working with their, their parents and their families, and if you can't be strong for them, then who else do they have, you know? So so controlling my emotions, I feel like, in work has helped me on the pitch. Similarly, a pitch, you know, things happen, you know, the opposition may try and get in your head, you, may, you get tackled, you have to get back up. It's all of that resilience, that mental resilience, and... Uh, yeah, nursing has, has really helped me on the rugby pitch, really. The skills that you need to. So tell me about, you know, you as a role model. Um, you know, you often quote Billie Jean King, the fantastic, incredible tennis legend. You know, you have to see it. The whole sort of the ethos of you have to see it to be it. You have to see it to believe it. And you've turned that into your own version. If you don't, if you can't see it, be it. How do you actively you know, show yourself as a role model to young people? What message do you give them or want to send to them? I think one thing that I've always said is to be yourself, like be as authentic as possible, because by doing that already, you're sort of giving someone else permission to be themselves. And that is it. You know, um, we're in a world where, especially with social media, there's a lot of things that people put out there that are not really true to what they believe in and what their values are. And I guess a lot of it to do is fame and money. But if you're authentic to yourself, you stand by what you believe in, you have your values, the right people will want to hear from you, the right people will want to know you, the right people will come close to you. And I guess the ones that 
don't value what you have to say or don't believe in your values you won't so you're not losing out by being yourself and it's easier like it's very exhausting trying to be someone you're not um so my message always yeah and my message is always just be who you are be authentic and you know the right people will be inspired by what you're doing and what you have to say oh 100 percent. and you know as I always say what why you know why be like everyone else when you can be yourself and be different because we are all different right we're all literally molecularly different from one another so tell me about your dream of you know playing for England and so forth where are you on that road with that vision that you have yeah my dream for England I'm literally I'm at the beginning well I would like to say begin as to be fair I have done a little bit from dance but I do feel like I'm still at the beginning I've got a long way to go but I think the biggest part for me was actually admitting to myself that this is what I want to do why was that the biggest part was that because you didn't allow yourself to admit it yeah I feel like I didn't allow myself to admit it but it was actually a situation at work that helped me to realize that this is what I want to do and you know it's you know, being in the situations in the neonatal unit and during COVID, it was very tough. And, you know, looking after babies, newborn babies that were born, born extremely early because, you know, their mother had COVID and who was up in ICU fighting for her life. And it's like, you don't know whether or not mum's going to make it. And then I'm there looking after the baby. It was very, quite tough situations to be in. And it just made me reflect on life, that life is too short. And you have to just, you know, live your life to the fullest and whatever you want to do, whatever dreams and goals you have, just do it because you don't know what's going to happen around the corner. So was that, a, was that a pivotal point for you then when you were in that experience thinking, right, you know, I'm just going to go for it? Yeah, I think it was definitely a, a pivotal point for me. And um, yeah, it was definitely a pivotal because actually before then I already made an illustration, you know, which I love, by the yeah, way. Thank you. Behind you. <laughs> Behind me. Um, I've that got, self-portrait. Yeah, it's basically, yeah. So I put that out there, but in the beginning, it wasn't actually meant to be me. It was meant to be just anyone, but that can, you know, basically look like me, but it wasn't specifically me. Could this person actually end up playing for England? And I put it out there on social media and I got different responses, but a lot of people, like majority of people, were like, this is amazing. I want to see this happen one day. You know, and then COVID happened, I had that situation and then I thought, actually, and people were asking me, but why don't you do it, see? Like, why? And I thought, I've got three kids. I'm working at NHS, you know, I'm doing 12-hour shifts. How can that be me? Um, And then I just had a change of heart during COVID and I thought, actually, why not? And how did that feel that when, you know, when you woke up or to that conclusion, the kind of why not? I felt, it, there's a lot of things. I felt scared. I felt free. It felt like a big event for me because knowing my background, neonatal nursing is my, you know, it's my dream job. But nursing, I mean, uh, rugby is always been my passion. It was there before nursing. Rugby was, was, you know, I was playing rugby before I became a nurse. So that's always been in my background. I kind of say rugby has been a dear friend. It was with me, you know, through my teenage years, through marriage, through, you know, being a mum, like rugby's always been there for me. So, but the reason why I was scared was that what I just, I was scared of what other people would think, actually, if I'm honest with you. Other people meaning who? Just people like the rugby community. 
I wasn't my family like I didn't really mind I think they were whatever I did as long as I'm happy they're fine but it was people outside like the rugby community people that are the sporting community just people around who are not my family what would they think about would they feel like I can do it would they laugh at me would they feel like you know she's got no chance why is she even trying you know um so that's what was scary but you know actually everyone's been really supportive <laughs> like it's, it's, the support has been overwhelming so then again I think actually maybe it's just me putting that pressure on myself and it's taken a lot it was sort of a moment it's so weird because at the time as well making this decision I said to myself I need to start coming out my comfort zone and that decision was definitely way outside my comfort zone like leaving nursing which has been my comfort which has been everything for me leaving nursing was a major step outside my comfort zone and when I took the plunge it it was fine and I thought actually I could have done this earlier but I was too scared and I'm so happy that I took the plunge because I'm growing not just as a person but just you know other people are growing with me and if I didn't take that chance to leave nursing or to put nursing on hold my life would be so much different How do you think, and I know it's relatively recent, but how do you think you've changed having gone through that process, which was hard and you had to take the leap, as I tend to say, you know, you had to just chuck yourself out there and go for it. How are you different as a person today from a year ago? I think I'm much more braver. Definitely. I've become more brave and the Z that I knew a year ago, it's not the Z that's here now. I don't know where she's gone. You know, I feel like I've really, I'm looking at life so much differently differently now. And I feel like I'm a bit more brave than I used to be. I'm doing things I've, you know, I've never thought that I'll do, you know, just, and the, the way I've captured this dream, you know, before it was like, oh, you know, it'd be a good idea. Now I'm just immersing myself in this goal and this ambition. And this is not the Z, the Z a year ago wouldn't have been, we would have been too scared to do that I've become more confident more brave and uh, I've become have more self-belief I feel like than than I did before yeah which is so exciting to see you know I'm very excited with the person that I'm becoming because I've not I'm not you know I'm not finished evolving I'm still evolving but so far I'm impressed with her same here I have to say (laughs) how do you manage though I mean I know it sounds quite banal because uh, you know working mothers we work and we manage and we deal but you know you have three very young children this is a yeah. a, a big step uh, for you career-wise with a lot of training and all sorts of other requirements that necessitate huge discipline organization and so forth on your part how do you pull that in particularly the days when it's a bit of a struggle I mean, I just get the El Grey out and have a tea because, you know, they say cup of tea fixes everything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Coffee in my case. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but I mean, to be honest with you, it's just one of those things, you just do it, you know. If you stop and think about why you're doing it, then it just consumes you, <laughs> you know. it just It's one of those things you just you just get on with it. And I know how much rugby has played a role in my life in the sense that it's been a stress reliever so whatever's happening at home with the kids or whatever I can go on the pitch and I can release that energy release that stress so you know it just always works out in the end and I think one of the biggest like questions that a lot of people ask me is like 
with my faith, like being a Muslim and playing rugby, like how? And I, I actually feel like there's so much comparison between my faith and rugby. And when I say that, people are like, how? Like, what do you mean? And I just said, let me explain. So, for example, you know, being a Muslim, there's so many, you can be, anyone can be a Muslim. Like, you can come from whatever black country, black, white, purple, blue. You know, people from different backgrounds can are coming together to worship God. And we, you know, we have a lot of, like, regulations and, I guess, you know, rules that you follow within our, our religion. And you have to have discipline. You have to have respect for yourself, for community, for nature. It's one of those, you have to be resilient. It's like a doing, it's a practical religion. You don't just say you're Muslim and that's it. You have to, it's a practical religion. Whereas, same similarly with rugby, it has values. Discipline is one of its major values. Being able to uh, respect your teammates, respect the referees, a massive thing, respect in rugby, sportsmanship, teamwork. And those are the values that just coincide with my, my faith. That's why I feel like it's so easy. I feel so comfortable within rugby because the things that my religion has taught me is the same thing that rugby is teaching me. And it's a continuation of your life, isn't it? And your yeah. values, but on the pitch and not in the home or walking down the road or in an office and so forth. Exactly. So, see, if we look out to the next few years, you've got big ambitions for rugby. Um where, where do you think you're going to be in five years' time, in your dream? Yeah, in, do you know what? I would, I would love to have gotten my, five, my first cap for England in five years' time. I know this is a, it's a very big and bold statement to make, but that's where I would love to be in five years' time. And just thinking about the impact that it will have on just everyone you know like I'm more than what you just see I'm more than just a, a black Muslim woman and you know I'm, I'm a mother I'm a career woman and there's so many people that can relate to me from different angles of my identity that when it happens it's going to affect everyone you know and people of yeah you know, a lot of people don't I guess I don't really talk much about my the reason why I'm doing it it's bigger than me the reason for the stream is not really about me actually it's bigger than me it's about giving people the inspiration to follow their own dreams. And, you know, through being vocal of my dream, I've had a lot of inspirational messages. I mean, one person reached out and said, you know, I've seen how hard you're working at doing your dream. I want to do my master's. I want to go and study. It's something that I want to do, but I've been too scared. But because you're, you know, fighting for your, your goal, I want to do the same. And this is the kind of impact that I set out to do, you know. And the fact that I'm doing that and I'm not even... I haven't reached the goal yet. It just blows my mind and I'm just happy. So, Well, it's about every stage and every day and every step of the journey, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and how you get there. And it's as simple and as difficult in a way as taking the first step. That is the crucial one, isn't it? Do you think, Z, that clearly the world is changing um, in many great ways? And, you know, you've seen a lot of change in your career in sport over the past 10 years or so since you've gone into rugby where are we do you think in terms of needing more change to get more black women more black muslim women into the sport how much more needs to be done is are things going in the right direction basically yeah i think people are asking questions the right questions so far 
Um, and I think a lot of it, there's, you know, that di- um, diversity seems to be a buzzword a lot at the moment. And um, but it's about how do you actually work with that, not just saying, you know, paying lip service, how to actually do things. And I think for me, growing up, the fact that I didn't even, I'd never touched a rugby ball until I was 14 says a lot. So it's about going into communities where rugby is not common and just, you know, introducing them to rugby. And, you know, it's starting from the bottom up. And it's. I feel like, I kind of feel very sad that, you know, some people would have missed out on playing rugby just because of maybe the demographics and where they live or, you know, access to rugby, which is very sad because rugby can give you so much, especially people from low socioeconomical backgrounds or from deprived backgrounds or, you know, ethnic minority backgrounds as well. It's just that camaraderie, that family-like feeling you get from rugby can do so much for someone that's going through a lot or someone that's grown up in a tough life. So it just makes me sad that not everyone's going to, or not everyone has had the experience to play rugby because it's literally, it's more than just, it's a life-changing game um, and it's bigger than just a sport. It's more than just a sport. And I think visibility as well is a big thing. And I think that's part of my journey as well. I feel like when I get into that England shirt, that's me being visible on the highest, you know, platform, the highest stage. And that will feed down to all those communities that I want to take rugby to. I feel like me getting that shirt, everything that I'm trying to do will just fall into place by just me getting that shirt. So I'm kind of killing thousands of birds with that one stone, if you like. So, Z, well, we're obviously with you the whole way, but two final questions from me. What is the piece of advice you remember when you're having a tough day? And what is the piece of advice you give to others in that situation? I think there's probably the same piece of advice that I would give myself is what I'd give to other people. That is, you know, with every difficulty comes ease. And I think it's, Sometimes you, you face certain situations and you feel like that's it, you know, this is the end of the road, you can't cope, there's no light at the end of the tunnel, but there is. And I think this is even more so, especially because yesterday was World Mental Health Day, and I think there's a lot of people that, you know, are suffering from mental health and have been through challenging times. I mean, even if you don't suffer from mental health, life throws things at you and totally. you have to deal with it. And it's... um. It's just remembering or telling yourself that there are better days to come and no matter how much you're struggling now, it's it, it will pass. Um, so yeah, with every difficulty comes ease. And actually that's the passage within my holy book that I I keep dear to me. And uh, I try to remember that every time I'm, you know, I'm going for a tough time and it's what I tell people if, if they're going for a tough time, that it will pass and... In that moment, it's, it's very difficult to see, but sometimes you look back and the ability to look back shows you you've actually overcome so much, but you don't realise it until you come out the event. So it's, yeah, things will get easier. Well, on those words, I wish you all the best from the bottom of my heart. It's been wonderful to hear your story today and um, I look forward to the next stage of the adventure. Thanks, Dee. I absolutely love speaking to you. And I think you've asked me so many thought-provoking questions and I love that kind of thing because it makes me reflect on, on, you know, the kind of things that I need to be reflecting on. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you.
It has been such a pleasure to talk to Z today. I have three key takeaways from our conversation. Admit your goal to yourself. Being truly honest about your dreams is a huge thing. It takes courage. Stating your dream or your goal out loud makes it real and means in some way that you've given it life and owe it to yourself to get on the road and make it happen. Z did that, stating that she wants to play for England. She said, I've got a long way to go, but I think the biggest part for me was actually admitting it to myself. Second take is wanting to be an inspiration. Part of Z's goal is actually tied up in the impact of seeing herself in her dream role as a player on the England squad, inspiring younger players and paving the way for those who come after her. Her name as the bulldozer speaks volumes here, smashing stereotypes along the way. Lastly, change and the capacity for change can be found in the most incredible and also the simplest of places. Her belief is that she can be an agent of change via rugby. The bottom line is we are all agents of change if we truly wish to be. I would love to hear your stories of change, so do DM me at DoubleEspresso. I hope you can follow and share the podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And do join me next week for another incredible story of change on the Change Sessions. Until then, ciao for now.